When I put this message together, um, actually at the beginning of Pastor John's sabbatical, um, he was asking us, you know, what, what's the Lord putting on your heart? And this is a message that I felt like God wanted me, wanted me to express to you uh, this summer. And I had an idea about it before I even kind of got the, the ball rolling, and I ran it past uh, Pastor Danny, and I ran it past uh, Pastor John, and they said, uh, okay, give it a try. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So I uh, just want to make sure you guys are buckled up, and I'll give you my standard disclaimer. You get what you pay for. <laughs> so um, the, the title of the sermon is A Father's Hope, and it could just as easily have been titled The Heart of a Father. Or as I was going through it, even a mother's heart or a mother's hope. But you'll see most of my uh, stories and most of my uh, scriptures that I use are directed at you dads and you fathers. But it's a look through the scriptures at the role of a father and specifically around one word, hope. Now, many of us, I think, if we're honest, struggle with that word. I know I do. Is it an action verb? Is it a positive emotion, a feeling, a state of mind? Well, I want to look at a father's hope from three different perspectives. And I need to confess as I was trying to pull all this together that as we go through these different perspectives, they kind of morph into each other, which is probably a good thing. But I want to wrap it up um, all in my personal evolution as a father. Now, I struggled using that word evolution because of the negative connotations that it has with the origins of man, the theory that we evolved from apes to what we are today. But I'll concede that probably some men who become fathers probably start off a little apish. <laughs> and... <laughs> A little apish, and, and some may not grow out of that. Some men, and maybe there are some here today, had really no idea what biblical fatherhood was all about, or no natural inclination towards fatherhood when they first found out, or when you first found out you were going to be a dad. But that wasn't me. I knew in the seventh or eighth grade that I wanted to be married and I wanted kids. Now, I'm going to confess that at the time it was largely built on fantasy because I absolutely knew that Farrah Fawcett was going to marry me. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know Farrah Fawcett, she was one of the original Charlie's Angels, and in the mind of an eighth-grade eighth boy, she was perfect. She was flawless, and I knew that somehow she was going to discover <laughs> I'm like, Dan, he's having second thoughts now. He's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I did better. Yes, I did. But I knew that she was somehow going to discover me. And she was going to sweep me off my feet, and we were going to have a glorious family. Now, obviously, my desires were not at all built around a biblical desire or a spiritual desire or spiritual perspective. But deep down in my heart of hearts, I knew I wanted children. I wanted a family. 
I was always drawn to kids, and parenthood seemed attractive to me. I'm hoping after that little story that you're probably getting a good idea and a good taste of why I used the word evolution. This guy needed quite a bit of evolution in his thinking as a father. But before we launch too far into this, I want to define some terms, specifically the term hope. When I use that term, I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about wishful thinking. Like, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope I win the lottery, even though I didn't buy a ticket. I'm talking about biblical hope. And biblical hope is expectant. In the Old Testament, there were two Hebrew words used, kawa, Q-A-W-A, and B-A-T-A-H, bata, I think those are up there. And they were used to indicate trust in God to not disappoint us. And we find kawa within biblical prayers that express belief that God will transform those hopes into reality. The definition we use or we see in Webster's for hope is to trust in, to wait for, to look for, or desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future. So it's not too far off, but biblical hope I want to make sure you hear really clear, is not casual. It's not wondering. It's anticipation for what God will do. The Psalms are filled with prayers of hope in God for deliverance. They knew it was coming. They didn't know when. Isaiah 40.31 assures us that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And as I think about even Job in his horrendous situation, he proclaims, though they slay me, I will hope, or though he slay me, I will hope in him. The hope I'm referring to clearly isn't deterred by doubt about God's power or God's goodness. The hope we have is certain, no matter what. Now, I'm going to be honest. What I wanted to do today has been something, like I said, that I felt like the Lord's been leading for some time, but the opportunity has never really presented itself. And pulling it all together has been somewhat of a challenge. I have a few songs that I'm going to sing today as illustrations. Illustrations that point to my growing faith in fatherhood and my maturity as a father. And most importantly, I hope you're going to find in these songs a hope and trust that Star and I have always had in our Heavenly Father as I stepped into fatherhood and she stepped into motherhood. I also want to be real transparent, and I expressed this to Danny and John. I don't want to detract from God the Father. And while I share some personal testimony throughout the sermon, both in song and word, my prayer is it's done with humility and with the sole goal of focusing our attention on God the Father. I've had many conversations with quite a few of you, and there's one thing that many of us have in common, whether we've been good parents, 
mediocre parents or poor parents. Many of us are dealing with prodigals. Or we're dealing with children that have flat out rejected all that we believe in. And so we question, we wonder, we plead with God for our children. But my question for you is, do we really hope? Do we eagerly anticipate what God is going to do? I know I don't all the time. Sometimes I catch myself overwhelmed, filled with doubt, and I realize I fall way short of Job's proclamation. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. So I'm probably going to look a little bit like a ping pong ball up here. I'm going to present from the pulpit a bit. I'm going to sing a bit, and I'll be bouncing back and forth. And hopefully, catch that? Hopefully, we'll walk out of here with the resolute trust and hope that God has our families in the palm of his hands. Now, you might be surprised as I started this study that I went to the scriptures to find examples of godly parenting. And naturally, I first looked at some great examples of good, godly mothers. And in the Bible, there are quite a few. And the reason I say naturally is because I'm lazy. And it was really easy for me to come up with some examples on my own. Mothers aren't flawless. But like I said, they're way easier to find than godly fathers. And interestingly, as I was doing this study, I realized, you know, Scripture doesn't say a whole lot about the mother's flaws. But when you look at the fathers, their flaws are really clearly detailed. So I want to list off a few seemingly great mothers. It's not exhaustive, and some of you may make the case that, yeah, maybe they weren't all that stellar. But to name a few, we have Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the mother of nations. She was put through a lot, and she was faithful. We have Jochebed, Moses' mother. There's Rebekah the wife of Isaac. Now, she showed some favoritism, but she was described in Scripture as courteous, trusting, and helpful. We have Hannah, the mother of Solomon, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. We have ample Scriptures that talk about a mother's love and a mother's instruction. And in fact, we have an entire chapter in Proverbs that talks about the Proverbs 31, godly woman. But then as I was going through this, I started asking myself, why are there so few examples of good fathers mentioned in the Bible? There are many great men, heroes of the faith, but as I mentioned, Scripture talks very clearly about their flaws and doesn't really talk much about them in their role as fathers. We see the story of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son 
It's a great story. It's got great symbolism of what God the Father ultimately did with Jesus Christ. But how many of you as dads, when you read that story, have ever said, now there's an example of a good dad? I can honestly tell you there's probably only been one time in my life where I thought, I'm going to strap my son to a bunch of wood. And <laughs> no, I think most of us, if we're honest, we look at that story and we say, Lord, thank you that you asked Abraham to do that. Because I know I would not have been up to that task. But I think most likely the reason we don't have too many examples in Scripture of fathers interacting with their children is because our prime example is God the Father and how he relates to us. But even that, if I'm honest with you, can be a little discouraging, especially when our comparison is perfection. And being a dad in a fallen world is a difficult task. Fathers are human. We're fallible. We're broken and far from perfect. And we see this in Scripture, and it's clearly laid out. We see in Abraham a lapse of judgment. He has a child outside of God's will. And because of his impatience and his lack of trust, the result has been generations of misery. The consequences of that sin are still with us today. So let me ask, how many of us have made life-altering decisions that have had negative consequences on our families. We see Isaac and Rebecca playing favorites with their twin sons in Genesis 26. And what we know about David, who is a man, was a man after God's own heart, as a father he was neglectful, permissive, absent, that guy had more wives and concubines and kids than he could ever even attempt to care for. <laughs> Lots of problems. Yes. Now, before you think I've gone completely rogue and I'm being totally unfair, I did find a commentary that made the case for three really good fathers in Scripture. The first one is Job. Job loved his children. He prayed for them. He was a righteous man, and his heart broke when they suffered. Another example that we can glean great fatherly wisdom from is the father of the prodigal son. He was loving and forgiven, forgiving. And even after all the misery and grief that the prodigal son put his father through, he was waiting for him with open arms ready with his love, ready to forgive, ready to accept. I think it's a great picture of how we, as fathers, should respond to our prodigals. The third one that this commentary spoke of was Joseph, the early father of Jesus. Now, I found this one a little weak. In my own, This is just me. Uh, basically, he was saying that he must have been a great father, otherwise God would have chosen someone else. <laughs> well, I don't disagree with that, I'm sure. But what actual insight into Joseph's parenting methods for Jesus can we take and apply today 
We know that he protected Jesus. And the Bible called him a righteous man. And he did teach Jesus his craft. So I agree, but I'm just not sure exactly how much we can glean other than we need to be righteous men. We need to spend time with our kids. We need to protect our families. Now, as most of you know, there are thousands of books that have been written throughout the generations that tell us how to be good parents. And in fact, after Star and I had our first son, we were ready to write our own book on parenting. In fact, we took a lot of credit for having what we soon learned was an extremely compliant kid. We now say, if you have one child and feel the need to write a book, wait for the second one to show up. <laughs> Holy moly. We very quickly learned with our second child how grateful we were for God's mercy in not giving him as our first. Because <laughs> I promise you we probably would have stopped at one. But here's what we both knew and we were both committed to from the onset of parenthood. We knew that we needed to build a solid foundation into our children, a spiritual foundation. Personally, I grew up with an abundance of hypocrisy around me. So I knew more about what I wasn't going to do with kids than what I was going to do or what I needed to do. And I remember growing in my realization that our kids were sponges. They picked up on everything. And as they began interacting with us, not just eating, sleeping, and the required diaper changes, I remember being overwhelmed with the thought that if we do this wrong, we could really screw them up. So from the time they were babies, Star would sing to them. We'd read to them. We would quote Bible verses to them. We'd pray with them and pray for them. It was part of our Proverbs 22.6 training. Train up a child in the ways that he should go, and he will not depart from it. And one of the things we used to do, and I think every parent does, uh, definitely wasn't one of the chapters in the book we would have written, is we teach them sounds and we teach them their bodies and we teach them shapes by pointing to them, by asking them, what does a cow say? We teach them to say moo. Where's the square? Where are your eyes? Where are your, where's your nose? And what we learned over time is, man, we have a lot of influence on teaching this kid. We can help him find anything. But I was convicted that I needed to make sure that they found Jesus. And as they got older, I realized these guys are like little mocking jays. I realized that one day I was out in my backyard planting grass and I'd kick a dirt clog, a dirt clod, and they'd kick a dirt clod. I'd throw a rock and they'd throw a rock. I'd get mad and throw down my hat, and they'd do the same. And so with these two realizations coming at different times, I wrote the first two songs I'm going to sing. The first one I wrote as my son was learning all his shapes and sounds 
and it's called Let Him Find Jesus. And the second I wrote after we had a few kids, and they were mimicking our actions, and we realized that, man, in front of our kids, we are ambassadors of Christ, and we need them to see Jesus in us. And it's called Let Them See Your Face. And my hope as I seeing, seeing these is two things. You're going to see from very early on we had an abiding faith in God and a desire for our kids to come to know him. But I obviously believe that most of you in here had the exact or have the exact same feelings. So as you know, I'm not a performer. I've put the words on the screen. Pay attention to those as I sing these songs. sure that's off. He can find his eyes. He can find his nose. He can find his feet. He can find his toes He seems to understand So much more Than we seem willing To give him credit for But I want him More than anything Makes the bluebird sing to go through life without you. You just can't afford. I want my little boy to find you, Lord. So every night I bow my head, drop down on my knees, cry out, Heavenly Father. Let him find the 
And as I said, after we had the first one and the second one and the third one, we realized we need them to see our face, Christ's face through our faces. And this is called Let Them See Your Face. Watch my every motion They mimic my emotions They pattern every footstep after mine They test me with their actions And they measure my reactions As a battle wages for their tender minds And Lord, I They might see your face A reflection of your holiness An impression of your grace When they look into my eyes Let them see your face Let me take time right away May my desire for their fellowship brightly burn Because I know they'll soon be gone Time will move them on And then I'll desperately wish for this day's return Lord, I don't want to hinder them from your me into a godly man so when my children look into the eyes of their father they might see your face a reflection of your holiness an impression of your grace when they look into my eyes let them see your face Help my children see the God I serve is true. I will raise them joyously, these precious gifts you've given me. All I ask is that you draw each one to you. A reflection of your holiness, an impression of your grace. 
when they look into my eyes when they look into my eyes when my children look into my eyes let them see your face So what should we hope for? First and foremost, eternal life, salvation. We hope for an unwavering faith in our children. We should hope for that as well in our spouses, that Jesus Christ takes the dominant and most influential role in their lives. That's a father's hope. We look at passages like Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Solomon offers sound advice here. And when a child is raised with the right values, with the right perspective, those lessons are going to last a lifetime. The literal wording here implies that the rightly trained child will not deviate from this path. But we know that Solomon's counsel is not an ironclad promise. No matter what we do as a parent, even if our desire is for our children to not deviate from God's path, some do, don't they? If you have any doubts about that, read First and Second Kings. Bad sons followed good kings, and vice versa. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The implication of these passages is that our instruction is based on the word of God, and we are faithfully teaching these words at home. And I love 3 John, 3 John 1, 4, because it is the greatest hope for a father. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the primary hope for a father, for his children. And we should never set the bar any lower than that. We hope that our children would not only trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, but that they would walk with him. That they would do as Micah 6.8 instructs, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? They're watching us. How are you doing there? That should be a father's hope for his family, and a father should lead by example. Other things we hope for, we hope for godly spouses, because we know this pays dividends for a lifetime and for generations to follow. How many of you pray 
for the future spouses of your children? Or if they're already married, how many of you pray for their spouses, whether you like them or not? Some of you do. And I see more women's hands than men's. Our wives are great at this. They lead in this area. They pray for our kids for those kind of things where I think sometimes as dads, we're just kind of, I don't want to say checked out, but I'm checked out sometimes. You know, maybe you've had a pretty crummy marriage that's been a pretty rough example to your children. Maybe you've had a fantastic marriage that's a great testimony for your children. But regardless, Colossians 3.18 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Are we teaching that to our kids? Are we helping them understand the value of a good godly marriage? Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We hope for good jobs. We hope that our children will be hardworking. We hope for our children that they will be able to stand on their own two feet that they'll make a difference in this culture in a positive way. And we hope with anticipation for what God will do in and through our children. We hope for our families. Dads, hope for your families. A father also should bring hope to his family. How do we do that? First, we stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22.30 uses this terminology when the Lord was looking for someone to intercede on behalf of, to protect, and to defend. I think sometimes as a father, we want to insulate our children from life's pain and troubles. The troubles will come. They'll have experiences that are hurtful. They'll make mistakes. Because you know what? Our children are just like us. They're human. They're fallible. They'll struggle with illness and accidents. They may become entangled in bad relationships. They may make poor choices, sometimes with serious and lasting consequences. And they may even choose to reject God. So where are we in these moments? How do we bring hope in these situations? We show the attributes of our Heavenly Father. Mercy, grace, unconditional love. Let me ask you guys, is it easier for you to show mercy, grace, and unconditional love to others, those outside your family? I think in some cases it is. Do your families know that you love them unconditionally? And when I ask that question, I'm not asking you to enable your kids' poor behavior. Not even close. In fact, there's ample scriptures that compel us towards tough love. 
But there has to be a ray of hope so that they can see there's a potential return trip home. The prodigal son in scripture, he knew he had a place. Yeah, there were going to be some limitations, and yeah, there were going to be some changes, but he knew. What are some other ways we as fathers bring hope to our families? Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 talks about our words. Our words bring life. Your words have the power of life and death. How are you using them? Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. God's word brings hope. Memorize it. Have it at the tip of your tongue. Have it on your lips so that when conversations arise, we're able to engage. Here's a big one, fathers. Ephesians 6.4 is a big admonition to us as dads. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. The goal of a good father is to rear children who are not discouraged. The word implies here losing heart, being listless, spiritless. We should parent in a way that produces the opposite of discouragement. And what's the opposite of discouragement? Hope, being hopeful, being happy, confident, and courageous. We bring hope by loving our wives. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There is great confidence and hope and encouragement in that our kids are watching. We bring hope by doing our best to provide for the needs of our families. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he's denied the faith and is, wor and is worse than an unbeliever. That doesn't mean we give them everything. In fact, there are things we probably don't want to give them. But we should be, as parents, we should, they should see some selfless, selflessness in us. And finally, we follow the commands of Joshua 1.8 and Joshua 24.15. And we make God's word the centerpiece of our home. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And Joshua 24.15 says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So that's how we bring hope to our families. And finally, men, we show our families the unwavering hope that we have as dads in our Heavenly Father. We trust. And as a man of faith, I'm learning to trust that even in the midst of the most difficult circumstance, 
God is working in our children's lives. I'm learning to trust Paul's message of hope to the early believers in Rome when he wrote, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I'm learning that our kids really don't belong to us. Our kids belong to God. He's their true father, and he gave them us, gave them to us on loan. First season, despite our flaws, God is entrusting us to do the best parenting we can. And we need to realize that a time will come when all we can do is release our children in faith with prayer back to our Father who loves them more deeply and more perfectly than we ever can. My kids are grown and gone now, and I can honestly say I don't know what's best for them. I honestly don't. When they call sometimes, I praise God they still call for advice. But I don't know what's best for them. But I trust that my loving Father in Heaven does. We live our lives as a testimony of our incredible, loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we do all this, if we hope in our families, and we bring hope to our families, and we have our ultimate hope in God the Father, we are going to raise rock-solid Christians 100% of the time, right? I wish. Not even close. As I think back to my evolution as a father, what I've finally come to grips with, and I don't fight anymore, is that God is sovereign. God has a plan and a purpose for each of my children. I don't understand it, but when I look back at our parenting, I think both Star and I can say with confidence a few things that we have questioned and questioned and re-questioned, and I think we're both in agreement on this. I didn't run it past her, just so you know, full disclosure. But our children have no doubt that Star and I love each other. And that we're both fully committed to Jesus Christ and his word. They've seen our convictions lived out without compromise. And they know if they come to us with some sort of request that is in any way, shape, or form opposite of what the word of God instructs, they're going to lose that one. They know that. Our children have no doubt that we love them and we'd lay our lives down for them. Our children would say that we never lived lives of hypocrisy. It was really important for us as we were raising our kids. We didn't want to do anything that we didn't ask them not to do. So we never had R-rated movies in our home, with the exception of Schindler's List for school. We never had alcohol in our home. We've always treated our children, even prior to any of them trusting in Christ, that these will become our weaker brethren, and we didn't want to do anything to cause them to stumble. We never swore in our home or, our, or allowed our children to swear. We made our kids, unless they were working, they were at church on Sunday or they were at youth group on Thursday. 
Why do I tell you this? So that you think I have it all together, that we had all the right chapters for our parenting book? So I can stand here and tell you that if you do these things, your children are just going to walk in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? No. I tell you this because no matter what we do as parents, ultimately we have very little control over our children, especially as they leave our homes. Their eternal destiny is up to the Lord. He has their plans. He has their days. We can hope in our children. We can bring hope to our children. And we can hope with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in God the Father. And yet, we can still end up with prodigals. I've shared in the past of the manifesto that one of my sons wrote to Star and I. He walked away from the faith, and he told us all the things that he did not believe any longer. And that was a dark day for us. It was pretty soul-crushing. I'm going to sing one more song for you, and it's the song that I wrote after that experience. And we're going to end the, the sermon today with Star singing a song. But I want to contrast this song to the first song that I sang. My oldest son is 33 this year. And the first song I sang, Let Him Find Jesus, I wrote before he was even one. For 33 years, we prayed for our kids, for salvation, for their spouses. And this song I'm going to sing is really the last song that I've written for any of my kids to date. As I've said, I've grown in my trust in my Heavenly Father. And my hope is in all that Jesus Christ claimed to be. And even though my son right now is walking completely opposite of where we would like to see him, I have peace in that. Because I know God has a plan for him. It was interesting. I wasn't going to share this, but... A couple days ago, we were sitting around the table. My son was there, and he heard, he, we, he knew I was preaching today. And he said, what are you preaching on? <laughs> Opportunity. So I shared. I shared kind of where I was going. And I'll pull it all back together here pretty quick. So. But uh, I, I shared with him where I was going, what I was doing. And both Star and I marveled and how much biblical knowledge that kid has. And we left that conversation with great hope. And this song that I'm going to sing is called, Will I See You There? child, you were always by my side, 
We wrestled on the floor, took trips to the store, sometimes just went for a ride. But it all lies big occasions, any moment you could share. I'd often hear you ask your mom, will you and I'd be there? Through life's triumphs and its trials, times we thought might be your end. We saw you put your faith in Christ, He had become your cherished friend. Then we watched as you became a man, reject what you once declared. So now I guess it's Daddy's turn to ask Son, will I see you there? When I'm walking down the streets of gold and moved into my new home, when I'm talking to my Savior, when I'm bowing at His throne, when I'm looking for the family once entrusted to my care, Son, I have to ask, will I see you there? I know it might seem foolish now, but I know God's word is true. It's implanted deep within your heart and you constantly pursue. Because he will not lose any, but will raise up every air. So lovingly I ask you, son, will I see you there? Walking down the streets of gold and moved into my new home. When I'm talking to my Savior, when I'm bowing at His throne, when I'm looking for the family once entrusted to my care, Son, I have to ask, will I see there? Faith is the assurance of the things we cannot see. Confidence, I hope, in all that Jesus claimed to be. So by faith I lift my voice to Him in agonizing prayer. Asking Him to guard and keep you so the Son I'll see you there.
hope, eager anticipation of what God is going to do on our behalf. May not be in our lifetime, but we hope and we trust and we serve a God of miracles who can make dry bones come alive. I've asked Star to close this sermon out with that song. It's a song of great hope for all you parents here, those with kids that are remarkably serving the Lord, and for those with kids who may not be, regardless of their age. Know and trust this. We follow and serve a God of miracles. Dead hearts 
can father a child, but it takes a lifetime to be a dad. And here's the good news. If you're here today, you're alive. And there's time. You still have a lifetime left. So if you have relationships with your kids that need restored, restore them. Fathers, hope in your children. Bring hope to your children. And never, ever stop hoping in our God, Father. Amen? Let's pray, and I'm going to do something a little special. I want to pray specifically for you guys as well here today that have prodigals. So let's pray, and when I'm done, I'll dismiss you, and there's stuff going on downstairs, right? So you can go down and have some uh, fellowship and some eats. So let's pray. Father, we love you, and we praise and thank you for this morning and just the chance to gather together to worship you. And Father, we realize that there are many families here that are struggling with prodigals. And Father, I know sometimes it can be overwhelming, and sometimes we often take our focus off you and put them on the child. But Father, I pray that you would give us great hope, and as fathers, we would be great testimonies and great examples from here on out to our family. We know, Father, that for many of us, we feel like maybe we've messed it up, and there's no return. But Father, with you, there's always a return. You are our great Redeemer. Redeem our homes. Redeem our marriages. Redeem our families. Father, we pray that this week you would bless us, we would be a blessing to you, and that you would just give us your grace and protection on the way out. We love you, Father, and we thank, it, thank you and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.